morning and welcome to the Everything HR Owner to Owner podcast. My name is Felicia Harris and I'll be your host this morning. Now, you already know, owning a company is complex. There are a zillion moving parts. And when you bring employees into the picture, things get even more complex. Whether you have one employee or 10,000 employees, it can be a challenge to keep it all running smoothly. And that's where everything HR come in. We do one thing, HR. We're human capital experts. We're problem solvers. We make things simpler. Now, this complimentary podcast is designed to provide you with the latest HR trends. Whether you do business in your home state or across the United States, from owners across the U.S. about issues that are there with them. And you just heard the beauty of live broadcasting because obviously the music should have started at the beginning. Anyway, this morning is no exception. We have attorney David Steinberg, who's going to talk to us about franchising. Now, as business owners, we all want to have a business that is profitable. And a lot of us take a look at our businesses and we decide when is the proper time to franchise and what is a franchise and how does a franchise work. And so our guest this morning is going to provide us with that information. And so what I'm going to do is I first want to give you the opportunity to phone in your questions. And you can do that by calling 929-477-1199 or you can email us your questions because I know a lot of you listen to us online at support at everythinghrfs.net. That's support at everythinghrfs.net. Now, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to turn it over to David, and I'm going to let him tell us a little bit about his background first, and then we're going to jump right into franchising. All right, David, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Felicia, and thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about franchising, something I've been doing for a long time, actually since 1982, uh, when I came back to Detroit after finishing uh, uh, graduate school at, uh, at Georgetown. So, And it was a new field back then because the uh, uh, Federal Trade Commission rule on franchising uh, came into effect in um, 1979. So it was only a three-year-old field when, when I came back. So it's, it's been uh, something I've been doing full-time since then, and I, I really enjoy it and uh, appreciate the opportunity to talk to people. So, yeah, I've been, I've been doing franchise law since then. I've been uh, general counsel to a publicly held firm in Michigan many years ago in a comp computer centers uh, where we used to uh, franchise the uh, computer stores, which actually – if you can think, if you can believe it, we sold computers on shelves in in actual stores, and uh, unfortunately, that method of selling the product uh, became a dinosaur and has has gone away. Which is um, uh, which was interesting because you took a whole franchise concept that was working well, and when the industry changed, um, the whole concept suddenly didn't work anymore. Uh, which was a good a good lesson for all of us that were. Uh, involved in that, but and I've I've practiced in LA for four years, long time ago, back from '87 through '90, and um, I'm the immediate past chairman of the um, Michigan State Bar Antitrust and Franchising Trade Law Section of the of State Bar of Michigan, um, and um, 
What I like to do now, too, is I, um, I'm involved as an arbitrator. I've been arbitrating cases for the last 20 years, and I arbitrate a lot of case, franchise law cases where I, I serve as the arbitrator, which is um, uh, really informative and enjoyable. I get to see both sides of the issue, and uh, uh, making the decision sometimes is not so easy, so, but, but, I, but I do enjoy it. And uh, I'm also licensed in California as well as Michigan, but and I pretty much have a national practice. I have clients all over, all over the country, and it's interesting with the Internet how you can do business today as a lawyer uh, I have some clients that I've never met. So I franchised a company out of Israel and, and some others, and I've actually never met the people. So it's just an interesting way of, 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 of having a legal practice these days, I guess. So that's just a little bit about my background. Right now I'm of counsel to, to the law firm of Jaffe Ray, Hewer and Weiss in Southfield. We uh, have 110 lawyers and a, you know, a, a, a franchise law section that I'm co-chair of. There's about six of us. And so we represent uh, startup franchisors, amateur franchisors, and we, we help people buy and sell their franchise businesses too. So it's an, I, I do that on an up-counsel basis. So, um, and I've been there for about, um, about seven years now, I think. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So now, Tell us, I guess, the, to initiate, to really start off, tell us about what is franchising. Let's start with the basics. Okay. Well, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, people basically know franchises. They walk down the street and they see their Burger Kings and their McDonald's and, you know, Dairy Queens and so forth. And most people know that those are franchises uh, by the popularity of their name and their, their brands and their trademarks. What a lot of people don't know is that these franchises are not owned by some large conglomerate corporation in, uh, in some some other state. They're owned by people in your neighborhood. They're owned by your neighbor as independent businesses. They because um, franchising is really a method of of distributing goods and services uh, under a, li- a licensing format. So, for example, then you have a choice. If I'm someone and I have two or three hamburger restaurants, just for an example, or pizza or whatever it is. And I don't have enough money to keep opening restaurant after restaurant after restaurant with, with my own capital, but I have a good concept and I have a good um, method of, of, of service and selling something that can be duplicated and, and, uh, tra- and I can train other people, then I can license that concept and I can expand my number of stores. I can expand my brand but it's other people who actually own the business into their capital, their time, their money that goes into it. And in return, I being the franchisor in that case would be paid a royalty for the use of my brand, for the teaching. There would be an advertising method set up where, where, uh, where monies would be put in for, for, for co-advertising together. And I would control the product and I would control the brand, but the other, my, my independent, franchisees would control their own uh, business independently. So in its simplistic form, franchising, it's a business, it's a, it's a business format where one entity, which is the franchisor licenses this method of distributing goods and services to someone else, which is called uh, the franchisee. And 
you know, it gets complex, obviously, and there's all kind of components as to when do you have a franchise, when you not, when you legally, do you, what, when do you legally not have a franchise? And there's a gray area there, and you have to be have to be careful. But it, this business format started in the 1950s with old line companies that we've all heard of, the McDonald's, the Dairy Queens, Dunkin' Donuts, and it grew. And what happened was that in the 50s and 60s, it grew so quickly there was no regulation to it. And there were a lot of abuses going on in the industry. People were signing two and three page contracts. And it's really interesting because I, I represent a lot of Dairy Queen owners and a lot of them in Michigan anyway, have been around a long, long time and they come in and they're finally want to sell. And they've got a 50 year old, they've had it for 50 years in the family and they have a three page agreement from the former Dairy Queen company, which is still good. And the agreements with Dairy Queen today are about 45 to 50 pages. I mean, that's how the industry has changed. It used to be Dairy Queens that were sold uh, by by sales agents who would walk around with these three-page agreements in their back pocket. And if you owned a gas station, they walk up to the gas station owner and say, hey, would you like to open up a Dairy Queen? All you got to do is pay us 29 cents a gallon for mix and give me $2,000. Next thing you knew, the, the person was a franchisee and didn't even know it. And then, you know, as, as typically happens with anything, as, as a business grows, um, people start looking at it, how it's being operated. And so the federal government began to regulate it in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the 70s. And so we have what we call a federal trade commission rule that regulates franchising, which now requires all franchise companies to have a formal offering prospectus that must be given to a prospective franchisee before they buy. And there are regular rules with that. They have to have it for 14 days before they can pay any money or sign any contracts. So that, that is to give them a period of time to at least read it carefully and hopefully take it to a lawyer and ask questions. Um, so, awesome. Um, <clears throat> awesome. Yeah. But, so now- yeah. And, no, Go ahead. I was just going to say, so so there are three basic components because people say, what's the difference between licensing and franchising, which mm-hmm. is, and there is a distinction because you can be licensed to do something that may not be a franchise, but maybe not vice versa. And there's three basic components under the Federal Trade Commission rule. And there are 16 states, including Michigan, that have their own separate franchise law and 34 states do not. So 16 states do. But if you have three basic components, you might be franchising, and that is that you um, give someone else the right to sell a product or a service under a trademark or a logo or a trade name. Okay, so you can take McDonald's, obviously, as one example. You, They will operate that business under a marketing plan or a system that they're they're basically told how to do something they can that you may have an operations manual there may be any other format they're, they're trained in how to operate that business okay and then thirdly they pay a fee and under the federal trade commission rules if they pay five hundred dollars or more within the first six months that's a fee some states don't have the five hundred dollar requirement and there are gray areas the the hard part becomes that there are gray areas to some of these three criteria. So often 
I co-wrote an article a couple of years ago in the Michigan Bar Journal with a, a friend of mine who's general counsel of Hungry Howie's, and we, we wrote it um, on the we called it the accidental franchise. And there's 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 others who have written similar articles across the country, but we talked about how people can become a franchise company by accident. They think, oh, I'm just licensing somebody to go sell my ice cream or to go sell my product, but they don't realize they've crossed the lines and there is a regulation on this. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, it can work, it can work both ways. Um, but the regulation is, is important based on past abuses. And of course, now you're into the point after all these years where people are, we're starting to consider, are we over-regulated as, as we are in so many other things? which is a whole other discussion, I guess. It is. It is. But I have a quick question for you. How do we avoid that mistake of really where we think we're just licensing someone Mm -hmm. to provide our our product or service um, and and avoid basically, I don't want to say breaking the law or overstepping our bounds actually a better way? Well, hopefully uh, avoiding it is, is understanding first of uh, understanding something a little bit about about franchising and hopefully getting some advice from an attorney who understands franchising as well. There, most attorneys, I mean, there's good and bad. Uh, there, are the the practice of franchise law is what we call it. It's like a niche field. There aren't that many of us in Michigan who do it full time. And honestly, we probably all know each other. I mean, that's how small that section of the bar is so, but there are a lot of attorneys. If you go to them, they won't understand maybe the application of the Michigan franchise investment law or the uh, federal trade commission rule. And then you might be getting some wrong advice. You have to be, you have to be very careful. So hopefully, and that's why we called it, you know, our article when we wrote it, the accidental franchise, because usually what happens is people come to you, and they've already began to license people, and they didn't quite understand that there was a law. They didn't know there was a Federal Trade Commission rule. They didn't know there was a specific law in the state of Michigan. They just didn't know. And those things can happen. They, didn't, they weren't doing anything to, to purposely violate any, any law or regulation. They honestly didn't know. And that's where we sit down with them and say, well, here's what we really should be doing, and here's what we can do to correct whatever whatever violation you've, you've already done. So this is why part of our obligation as attorneys is try to get the word out even to other lawyers to, as to what some of the criteria are. So if they have a client who comes into them and asks them a question, they either have some information about it or they will refer that person to someone you know, who practices in that field of law. It's sort of like, I mean, I have people come in, you know, to see me too, and there's there's a lot of things I, I don't do. Uh, if somebody comes in to see me and they've got a, a labor issue or an employment issue, I, I'm lucky I'm with a large firm. I know somebody down the hall, so to speak, who's an expert in that field, and I'll say, this is the person you need to see. You know, I know enough to be dangerous, kind of thing, you know. But for for the real skinny and the really good you know answers and the proper representation, there are others you have to see. It's it's like if you you break your arm, I'm not going to go to a podiatrist. Uh, nothing against podiatrists, but you know I'm not. I, it's the wrong doctor. So exactly. um, 
it's it, but but it happens. Um, um, now, if people are know about the law and they're ignoring it, that's a whole other level of discussion. And quite frankly, I won't represent those people if they come in and they know they're violating the law and they want someone to back them up and support them anyway. That's that's not for me. But that's very that's very rare that, that happens. Uh, it's okay. a matter of educating people. And when you know what to do, just sort of doing it is is not that difficult, really. Okay. Now, tell us what what is a financial disclosure document for those that do not know. Okay. You, I think you mean the fran- franchise disclosure document. Franchise. That, yes. Thank you. That's fine. That's good. That's right. It's we call it an FDD for short. And it what it is that is required by the Federal Trade Commission. If you are going to sell franchises, you have to. It's required in all 50 states, and again, 14 or uh, 16 states have their own franchise laws that require it too. It is a document like a prospectus. If you were, if you've ever bought stock, you get this thick document that that explains things. Uh, but the FDD, it's meant to be. It's a um, it's a disclosure document, and its goal is to provide the buyer with sufficient information. Um, so that, that that buyer, that franchisee, can make an informed investment decision. And that's why they have the 14-day rule. And quite frankly, uh, 14 days is extremely short. Most people do not sign or anything. You know, it could, it could be months. But the 14 days is, is, is a minimum. And um, it has – there are 23 basic items or topics in the, in the FDD that the franchisor – must uh, m- must disclose, and the format of these FDDs is all the same. If you pick up a McDonald's, or you pick up a, a Dairy Queen, or you pick up a Tubby Subs, you're going to see the format of the document all look. They look the same, and that's because the FTC rule and state laws have a format of how this document is to be uh, prepared. And then there's a whole set of regulations that we, as franchise lawyers, when we prepare these documents and they're not cheap to prepare, the franchising is an expensive venture. We have to answer all these questions that um, under each category, and there are a lot of questions. Okay. I mean, it's there are hundreds. So there's a lot. So this FDD will talk about, it'll tell you the experience of the franchisor, what their background, what, what exactly is being offered to you. Um, It'll 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 say whether the company's been in litigation or had any bankruptcy uh, involving the franchise or or the key people, the key officers of the company, and that's important. That this, if you're looking to buy a franchise from a company that's not solvent, or has had financial difficulties, or has had a lot of litigation, um, you need to know that because you need to know, you know, who you're getting in bed with, so to speak. Okay. It will tell you what are your what's the franchise fee going to be. Every company charges an initial franchise fee just for the right for you to get that franchise. These fees range anywhere from five thousand to a hundred thousand dollars. All all depends, you know, um, what you're buying. It will tell you what your royalty is going to be, what your advertising fees are going to be. There's going to be charts that are going to have specific subjects of expenses you have to pay 
during the franchise term to the franchise companies, royalties, advertising fees. There may be POS fees. Uh, 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 there, there may be audit fees. Whatever the fees are, they have to be disclosed in chart form so that you know, at least in advance, what it's going to cost you during the relationship. Okay, It will tell you, do I have to buy all of my products from the franchise company or from designated suppliers? In most cases, if you're in many cases, the answer is yes. And it will tell you, does the franchise company have the right to make money on that? Do they have the right to get rebates from the purchases that the franchisee is going to make from this designated supplier? It's legal to it's it's legal for them to do so, but they have to disclose if they're going to do it. If they're not going to do it, they have to say they're not going to do it. And then if they have a history of doing it, they actually have to disclose because they have to be modified every year. This FDD has to re, be redone every year, and they have to say how much money they've made during their last fiscal year from uh, from from sales to franchisees by by these designated suppliers. So again, the whole intent is to, to disclose. So nobody's uh, being, there's no misrepresentation as to any aspect of, of the relationship. And then is there any financing? Sometimes franchisors offer financing or help you get financing. If that's the case, whatever the terms of that um, have to be disclosed, there'll be another section and, and uh, in item 11, it'll tell you, what are the pre-opening obligations of the franchisor to you? What are the post-opening obligations of the franchisor to you? They have to be described. Generally, pre-opening is mainly involving training, maybe finding a site. And post-opening, it may be follow-up training, continued product development, uh, site visits, uh, uh, whatever other forms of communication uh, that are they're going to be with you. Um, you need, it's going to tell you what, do I get an exclusive territory? In many food, fast food cases, you're generally given, you know, a mile, maybe three miles before, uh, as a territory where the franchise company won't sell another franchisee. So there's not going to be anybody encroaching, um, on, on you and, and, um, uh, and, and damaging your relations with your customers and, and your sale. And that's a, that's a big one. It, it's interesting because I'm not sure what is recently, but for instance, Subway has always traditionally been they give you no territory and they literally can put another one across the street from you, which makes no sense, you know, logically and business-wise. And they, they don't really do it, but you can have one three or four blocks away. And it all is going to depend upon uh, the population and how crowded it is. So... So every every company again is different. And many my my clients, I always encourage them to give as big a territory as possible. It's usually the right thing to do, and you want them to make sure they're successful. Uh, it's easier to sell franchises when you do that too. Um, so again, I, there are 23 different items, but those are just some. I probably talk too much. But, but, no, no, but, no. Um, it's all good information, but I have so many questions. We have a question that came in too as well. But I guess the first okay. question is, obviously, with all of this information that you've provided us, are, are you there with the client to walk them through all of these things, the, the disclosure, the setup, the regulations? 
Mm-hmm. Are you there hand-holding, or is there another team of people that need to be involved in this process? Well, that, that's great. There's two aspects to that question. One is if I'm representing someone who comes in and wants to be a franchisor, I always tell them, listen, I'm your quarterback, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be uh, um, the lead for you, and when we need other people, I will tell you who those other people will be, but I will still be your quarterback. So, for example, since I'm a lawyer, my job for them is to create all the legal documents and work with them. It's a process to get information from them regarding their system and their company so I can um, accurately prepare the, all their documents so that they're legally, they legally comply with the federal and, and state law. Okay, so I do all that. And yet when they need to create an operations manual, they can't afford to hire me to do that for them. It's simply too expensive. But I have people that I've worked with throughout the years because I work on a team approach with others who are not lawyers to come in and help my clients. So I have people who will come in and help them prepare the operations manual. I have um, CPAs that I've, I've worked with for many, many years who will do their financial statements for them. One thing is after the first year of operations, the law requires a, an audited balance sheet. And as you probably know, Felicia, not all CPAs um, do audits, maybe only 10%. Correct. There's a lot of, Correct. there's a lot of reasons for that. One is, I mean, one is it's a, it's an expertise. And then there's the, uh, um, uh, you know, the insurance issues about having to, you know, get extra insurance to cover you if you're going to be doing audits and all that kind of thing. So, um, so I say to them, listen, you can go to any, any, any CPA you want for the first year, but um, we do have to have somebody who does audits after the second year. So if they don't have a CPA, I obviously have them start right away with someone who's capable of doing audits. So there's no transition um, issues. And I have, I have a, a team of people, some local, some not, that will help them sell the franchises. And these are people who have been in the business for 20, 30 years. Um, um, I have a fellow here who's a, a, known a long time. He's got his own company. He's former president of a franchise company himself, and he's, he's helping a lot of my clients. He's very good. So, and then there's another national company that if you have the you know, greater financial capabilities that will can, you know, do more things for you uh, on a national basis. It always depends on your budget, of course, but, but so, and then the flip side of that, which is if you come in and I help people a lot, um, I review the FDD of someone else for them and give them an opinion. I'll, I have a set fee for that. You know, I might have uh, one every two weeks that I do some that for someone they come in, I review the FDD, I give them a 10 to 12 page letter describing the good, the bad, the ugly of, of what I see and, and making suggestions about things. Maybe we can negotiate to change. And I know that certain things can't be changed, but I also know that certain things can be changed, even though franchise companies don't want to. But at the end of the day, the goal of my helping them is if, if they decide to go forward, if they have full knowledge or, or at least better knowledge of what they're doing and what's expected of them, you know, do they understand what a liquidated damage provision means that 99 out of a hundred people have no idea what that means. And quite frankly, what it means is if you quit or if you're terminated for whatever reason, or you, you just decide this isn't for me anymore and you walk away under many franchise agreements, the franchisor has the right 
to, uh, and they'll sue you and even sue you if you don't, to have you continue to pay future royalties as if you had been in business, even though you're not. And obviously, okay. if you got if you fold because you're not making it, uh, that's a problem. Okay. And when you personally, and what is a personal guarantee? And when you personally guarantee that franchise agreement, guess what? It means that they can come after you personally, even though you no longer have a business for those royalties. And they can be, that can be a lot. So, um, you know, if you're willing to accept that as part of the deal to become a franchisee, that's fine. But, you know, you got to understand it before you put your name on there in case something goes goes bad and I've had it work many ways. I've had um, years ago I represented somebody at a Quiznos and I don't mind naming them because it's, it's, it's true and it's all public but he folded because he didn't make it. They still came after him personally but there are many companies who if you fail uh, they won't do it and I always ask what's the corporate culture of the franchise company is this the kind of company that if you fail they'll you know they'll let you go and they'll drop it or is this the kind of company that says we don't care, you know, that we're going to come after, you know, a, a, an agreement is an agreement is an agreement. So it's very important. And one thing I tell people is when they're going to buy a franchise, the, best, the, the most important thing they can do for themselves is talk to other franchise owners, ask them a gazillion questions, have a whole list of questions. And as long as you're not going to be competitive to them, you're not going to open up next door to them, they will be very honest in what they tell you. They'll tell you what they make. And ask them, well, how, how, how are the people to deal with in the company once you have bought the franchise? Do they suddenly disappear? Or are they really there for you? Are they really helpful? Those are the kinds of things we go over when I'm looking to help somebody uh, make a decision as to whether a certain franchise is, is for them, is, is for them. And, um, I mean, there is, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot to it. Uh, there's a lot of questions they need to ask themselves to before they buy a business. Awesome. Now we've reached a little bit over the halfway mark. And so okay. I want to just kind of give our audience a brief overview of what we've already covered. So I'll let you give us a brief overview of you, um, your background, and then a brief overview of what is a franchise and um, the difference between the the state and federal regulations and a brief overview of the FDD. And then we're going to hop in. I have three different questions that have come in for you, so we'll jump right into that after we give a brief overview. Okay. Well, I'll try to recap without – you know, without without going through everything I I just said (laughs) in a half hour. But but – so, so uh, yeah, I, real briefly, as far as the background, if anybody's just joining us, um, I'm a franchise attorney. I'm, I'm, I'm co-chair of the Franchise Law Group at uh, Jaffe Ray, Newer Weiss, and Southfield. We're a firm of 110 lawyers, but I, you know, my our franchise law section is, is six people or so, so it's a much, much more defined uh, group. I've been practicing franchise law full-time since 1982, and i uh, uh, you know, this is what I do 90% of, of, of the time. I'm immediate past chairman of the Michigan State Bar Antitrust and Franchise Law section. And I've practiced with, uh, I was general counsel many years ago with a uh, publicly held franchise company. So I have the understanding of an in-house person 
as as well as someone from the outside, which I think has been helpful over the years. Um, as as we were talking earlier, franchising is in its in its in its essence is is simply a method of distributing products and services instead of you doing it by opening another store, another restaurant. Somebody else does it on their on their dime, on their investment, and you you license them to do so using your name, uh, your business format, and you get paid for it. Uh, it could be royalties. It could be buying products from you. It could be a combination of both. And you help them. You train them you, you, in how to operate that business. And often there's an advertising and marketing, joint advertising and marketing component to it. So, um, you know, many, many, uh, and if it's a good brand, if the brand is good, then, then you know, it, it, it's all about the brand. It really is. You can have um, – if, you, if your brand's not good, obviously people aren't going to be uh, aren't going to be buying into it. So that's a key part. So um, there are three components to franchising. It, it, by, and I'll back up a little bit. It's it's regulated. It's a regulated industry. There's a Federal Trade Commission rule that applies in every state in the United States. There are 16 states, including Michigan, that have their own separate franchise laws that are often more strict than the Federal Trade Commission rule. But both the FTC rule and the state laws that apply require a franchise company to give you as a prospective franchisee something called a franchise disclosure document um, before you sign anything and before you pay anything. And the minimum period of time, a cooling off period, so to speak, is 14 14 days. Um, But generally, uh, it's very rare that anybody signs anything or pays anything within, within, um, within 14 days. This FDD has um, uh, 23 separate items of disclosure. The FDD is a disclosure document. It's meant to provide information regarding the company and your obligations to the franchisor and their obligations to you. And attached to this FDD will be various agreements, including your franchise agreement, which is the legal contract. There may be a personal guarantee. There may be an area development agreement if you want to develop an area, more than one location. There may be confidentiality agreements and there could be a whole host of things that will be uh, attached, attached to this. Um, let's see, what else do we, we talk about? There, there is one aspect that we should probably talk about uh, too. If you, um, well, let, in terms of, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, let me get to their question. I want to make sure I get okay, to everybody's questions idea. first. Okay. And so let's get to their questions before we dive into a new topic um, okay. there. One of the questions that came in is when, it is, when should a business actually look at franchising? At what stage? Okay. That's a great question. Uh, well, and that's answerable, in, I guess, in many ways. First of all, I always ask, how long have you been in business? Uh, believe it or not, I get people calling me to franchise a concept. They haven't even opened the door. They haven't even sold a product or a service. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You got to go do it. Okay, do it for at least do it for at least a year, and then come back and and talk to me. We need to know. Uh, you need to operate something for at least a year. I mean, that makes and, and often I, I you know I um, I used to say two years. And the longer, the better. Let's put it that way. But I've seen some systems after a year, they've had their act together and good enough to go ahead and create a program. But you don't know 
you don't know whether you're going to be successful. How can you possibly go sell um, something to somebody else until you know that you're successful? Because if you're not and you try to sell your, your method of, of marketing and branding to someone else and they're not, um, they're going to be very unhappy and uh, you, you might even find out you, you're not, you get yourself in a lawsuit situation. So that's obviously something um, you want to avoid. If you are, it depends what you're doing. If I'm a retail store owner or I'm in the fast food business, um, I try to tell people you should open up a second and third location. Um, having one is nice, but, it, it, but having two and three is completely different than having one. And you're going to, you need to experience what a franchise operator may experience who wants to open more than one location. Because most people go into franchising thinking that they'd like to have more than one. Depends which business kind of business you're in, but in many fast food businesses, you need to have more than one in order really to make any kind of um, of significant uh, significant income. So, and then I look: Do you have a team? Is this franchise company just you or the two people that come to my office? I mean, because once you have a franchise, you then have children. Your franchisees are your children, okay? And they need time and they need attention. And they're going to demand it of you, whether you like it or not. They're going to make the phone calls, the emails. They're going to pop in. And if you don't have the, the team, you don't have the uh, capacity to deal with it, it's not going to work. And your own business is going to suffer. And then, you know, again, do you have the financial capacity to do this? Franchising, the creative franchise system is not cheap. You can't use everything you have just to go ahead and create the system and, and wing it. You need to be able to have capital um, to, to hire people. Um, you're going to need someone who's going to be in, in charge of franchises, franchise sales. You need to have some sort of accounting staff. You know, you need to run this as a real business. Now, you can outsource a lot of that. Nowadays, a lot of this has gone to outsourcing, and you can, you can do that. There's many there's different ways to go about that, which is something to discuss, but you know, those are three or four you know, basic, basic components. And then, of course, uh, Felicia, is, is there a demand? Are people knocking on your door saying, this is really good? Have you thought about franchise or licensing? Or I'd like to do this. Are you getting inquiries from other people who are really interested in doing what you're doing? Correct. Now, the other question is, and I'll read it, what would a person who owns a few restaurants need to consider before creating a franchise and exhaling their brand? And then they have another part question I'll, answer, I'll ask you after this one. Okay. Well, I think I kind of just answered that in a, yeah. in a sense. Um, okay. I think everything I just said, I would, I would re-say again, to be honest with you, that I think what I, you know, that, that would be applicable to this, this person's question. Okay. What um, the next one is? What would make franchising worthwhile? For I, I suppose the, the question is worthwhile for, for the franchisor. For the owners, for, I guess on both for sides, the, franchi the franchisor okay. and the franchisee. Well, if you're if you think you have a a method of, of uh, you know, if you have a product that you think is better than others, and uh, uh, and you've created a brand that you you think is unique. Or you have a service, or some some you can perform some sort of 
of services, many, many service industries from cleaning companies to uh, uh, from janitorial type companies to to cleaning companies. I mean, there's there's just a myriad of them. So if you think you have a better method of, of doing something and that it's profitable and that you you think that it can be expandable across the United States, you know, and possibly further, possibly even other countries, and, and you're willing to manage this process, um, then, yeah, it can be extremely, it can be lucrative because you can then charge royalties on everybody else's sales. So, you know, you may be doing $500,000 at, at, at your place, but if, and if, if you got 10 other people doing $500,000, you know, it's 6% royalty. That's $30,000 a year per location times 10 real quickly is $300,000. Okay. So yes, I mean, if you can have something that other people can do, you can train them to do, there's a market for it and you can get a lot of them out there and they can make money. The most important thing is that the next person has to be profitable, not good enough that you're licensing them or they're doing something under your name and you're making a royalty and you're making money, but they're not profitable. That's not going to work at the end of the day it's going to fall apart. It's a house of cards. Okay. So your franchisee has to be profitable. If they're profitable, then, and then they're selling you get the royalties, you're expanding your brand. And what I tell people is the brand is, is, is important. If you think one day about an exit strategy, a lot of people think I'd like to get to 20, 25, 50 franchises and I want to sell. And that's very possible depending upon right now, there's a lot of activity out there in the marketplace looking for franchise brands in the, in the 50 unit, 50 to hundred unit range because the economy is good. The cost of borrowing money is cheap. Now, five years from now, I don't know whether it's still going to be as true, but today um, that's the situation. So there's some tremendous benefits to creating a, a, a franchise system and, uh, you know, I've got a couple of clients with hot products right now, and they're expanding uh, quickly. Hopefully not too quickly, but, you know, they're expanding quickly. The next question that I have um, is basically, yes, we all know about the McDonald's, the Burger Kings, and the Wendy's, but are there mm-hmm. any, do you have any examples of franchises that, you know, it might surprise people that are out there? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's. That's a good question that, that might surprise people. Well, there are insurance companies that are, are franchises. There are, of course, uh, a lot of child education places that that you see that are that are franchises. There are the hot one now is swim schools. There are a lot of swim schools around that people wouldn't realize. Uh, they, they may see a lot of them. Those are franchise. Those are franchise chains um, as well, um, and there are, there are many in the in the cleaning business. Whether it's carpet cleaning, a lot of carpet cleaning businesses are franchises. I'm trying to think if there's anything really unique. Um, well, there there are a couple of companies out there. People are familiar with um, co-working which is where you come in and you, you join on a membership basis and you can come in and out and work as you please. Uh, uh, usually it's a couple hundred bucks a month ago. There are companies out there that are trying to take that concept throughout the country. 
working with landlords to bring co-working concepts to different different areas. Um, I'm sure there are. Right now, I'm not. I'm sure there's some that are extremely unique, but I'm not. Um, we have we have been looking at it. We we have a client that actually was looking into franchising in the cannabis industry. There's been a lot of interest in coming up uh, with with because there's 11 states where selling cannabis is legal now and and so forth about how to franchise. There's a lot of um, a, a lot of inquiry about that. Of course, the problem, of course, is that on the federal level, it's illegal. <laughs> oh, you know, so that's a problem. But um, some of these 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 centers that are legally selling um, legalized marijuana and things like that have discussed potentially trying to franchise that kind of business. Okay. Now I want to make sure we have a, about less than we have 13 minutes left. So I want to make sure that I get to. Some of the factors that determine when should you, I know you covered some of them on when you should buy a franchise mm-hmm. um, on there, okay. but the, sure. and you covered some of the benefits and, and responsibilities from that aspect. But I guess you have a little bit more insight because this is what you do. Right. And so if mm-hmm. you were advising a person and they were considering they have their business. They know that it's been successful. They have the, the revenue and the customer demand and all of that behind it. But franchising, you know, has been something that mm, has been in the back of their mind. At what point should they come in and just sit and talk with a person like you to see if this is something that they need to explore more to actually include in their strategic planning? Well, that's that's a great question, and there are a lot of. Uh, first of all, they can come in and talk any 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 time they want, uh, and all, often the earlier, the better. Generally, people come in when they found something that they think they're interested in, and they want to talk about it more. They want uh, want advice. So, there's a whole host of questions I go over uh, with them um, in generality. I will I will talk to them. How much is this prospective investment going to cost you? What are the sources of where you're getting the money to do this? Um, are you going to need financing? Um, are you pulling the money out of the equity in your home, which can be extremely dangerous, even though people do it. And they, sometimes you have to. When we had the downturn in the economy and a lot of people lost their jobs, I saw a lot of people, they had to find something to do, on, uh, obviously. And the biggest source of their that their money they had was in the equity in their home. And while that's dangerous, um, many people did that and, and some people successfully and, and some people not. So we talk about, we talk about money. We talk about that issue. We talk about what are their individual abilities and qualifications and their experience. If there's someone who doesn't like to stand on their feet and, uh, and, and manage a lot of other people, then I'm not sure the fast food business would be for them. Um, or, and you know, if they talk about buying a, a fast food business, what we call QSR, quick service restaurant, it's, you know, do they really enjoy food? Do they enjoy cooking, preparing, or do they just think that, um, you know, owning one of the, owning a fast food franchise would just be, uh, you know, they've heard that it's profitable. 
which is not always the case. Okay. Um, we talk about their goals. You know, what are they, are they looking for a, a five year to do this for five years, 10 years? Are they looking to create something for their family? A lot of people come in and they have a goal. They want to turn it over to their, you know, their kids, you know, one day. We look at what's the demand for the product or service. They'll, they'll bring a, a, you know, something in, and we'll look at it. It might be the first time this this product is ever coming to Michigan, which you always have to be careful if you're the first one, because you're not sure whether it's going to go. Uh, is there a market for this in a different state, and are you the guinea pig, kind of for somebody else's franchise concept? There can be a great benefit being the first one. I tell the quick stories that. Um, I helped someone who bought the very first um, edible arrangement in Michigan years ago. I thought it was a terrible idea, okay? So it just shows you how wrong I was, all right, because fresh fruit, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars to open up a location, and I'm, talk, I'm thinking spoilage, you know, but I was wrong. And these people have expanded to three or four units now, so they're doing they're doing just fine. But, you know, those are the kinds of things you have to ask, you know, um, People, people, people need to really ask themselves a lot of questions. Can they? Are they the type of person that can follow a system, or are they more a leader in a different way? A lot of people, the most successful franchisees, follow the system. They may not like it, but they don't deviate. Or if you're going to deviate, you discuss it first with the franchisor to make sure it's it's approved. Those franchisees that I see that often fail. They're not doing what they were trained to do. They're not following the program, so to speak. So you have to ask yourself, what kind of person am I really? And, and can I, am I going to do this? Do you have the support of your family? It's a family affair, okay? Um, you're going to be spending 80 hours a week in something, and you may not be home a lot. Uh, is that okay with everybody else in, in your family? Um, um, are you ready for hard work? I mean, are you looking, you know, these are all very personal, very personal, very personal questions. Is everybody, when they buy a franchise, everybody's excited. This is great. It's brand new. It's exciting. But then the excitement wears off and you got to do it. Okay. So, you know, do they really want to own their own business, you know, or are they better off? And are they, or are they, are they buying themselves a job? If they're only going to make $50,000 a year out of this franchise, you know, um, unless they plan on developing three, four, five, I often tell people that they may be off better just getting a job because you're not putting hundreds of thousands of dollars at risk to make $50,000 a year. Those are, those are some of the things we, we go over. And there's a lot of things. If they find a company, if they find someone that are interested in, then there's other things we, we will go into. Um, I want to know about the training and support of the company they're, they're, uh, they're going to go into it, how long they've been around doing it, uh, what's their financial stability. And you can tell from the financial statements so the franchise will be attached. So I can read them. I often tell them, take them to a CPA anyway for a, for a deeper analysis because I'm not an accountant. I'm not a CPA. Are they going to research and develop, continue to research and develop their products? Surprisingly, you would think, well, sure they will. But if you read many franchise agreements where it talks about their duties, it doesn't often say that they will continue to do research and development. Now, that doesn't mean they won't do it. But on paper, as a matter of contract and legally, they don't have to, which is insane. I mean, why am I going to buy 
get into a 10-year relationship with someone to buy their products or if they're not going to continually make them better or don't have a legal obligation to do so. That's why in my agreements that I write, I, I put in there that we will, I make it a, a, one of our duties as a franchisor, we will continue to, to, uh, to do research and development and to better the products. As I tell, I tell my clients, I'm putting this in there. If you don't agree to it, you need to talk about it now. But if you don't agree to it, I don't know why you're franchising because you, you got to do it anyway. So there's a lot here. Um, and these meetings I have with people, they can last hours just because we're in different, you know, at different times, obviously, maybe not at one time, but, you know, we want to know about management. I got to know that they have a good solid management. And um, again, if they found a system they think they want to buy into, they've got to spend some time visiting other franchisees and at least talking to them on the phone and asking, you know, some very real questions so that they get, they get, they get good information and they're making an informed decision. Awesome. It's true. I mean, obviously you had stated about, you know, the hard work of a business owner. I mean, think about it. You call them these franchisees become your children. Um, and so, yes. you know, it, it triples your work. It doesn't make your work any easier. Easier. It makes your work a lot more difficult. And some of us as business owners already work seven days a week, 24 hours a day, squeezing in everything that we can get in there for her business throughout. And so trying to, you know, what kind of life do we really want to have? Do we really want to practice that work-life balance or not? Um, those are all the questions that we have to ask ourselves um, when we're taking on more responsibilities because it's not less responsibility. It is very much more responsibility. That's right. And so, That's right, how do, if someone wanted to get in contact with you, let's give them your contact information to make sure that they have it. Okay. Well, thank you. That's, that's easy to do. My office number is, general office number is 248-351-3000, and you can just ask for, for me, um, David Steinberg. My email is uh, D, D Steinberg, D for David, and then my full last name, D Steinberg at Jeffy Law. J-A-F-F-E-L-A-W dot com. And uh, what else? So they can always find me through you, I suppose. But Yeah. And you can do also on oh, LinkedIn. Sorry, they can look you up on LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn. And by the way, I, I, I don't know why I'm forgetting about this, but I just redid my website, which I've had since 1993. It's real easy to remember. It's www.franchiselawyer.com. And there's all kinds of information on there for both franchisors, franchisees, uh, how to get in touch with me, um, industry-wide statistics and information, um, information about some of my clients and uh, some of the work I've done in the past. And there's articles you can read. So there's a lot of information there. Again, it's franchiselawyer.com. Hopefully, uh, I wasn't smart enough to do also .net. That one's... It was a long time ago, but but that's a good way of finding me. Awesome. 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 So, David, thank you so very much for joining us this morning and providing us with such valuable information on franchising because I think you dispelled a lot of different myths um, that's out there about franchising. And, you know, we, we all like the, the shiny things and all of that, but we don't know what's really involved in all those things. 
And I think you clarified a lot of those things for us this morning. And so for those of you that are out there that are looking at or considering franchising, I highly encourage you to give David a call. Um, I've known several attorneys. I've worked with several attorneys over there at Joffrey throughout my financial career um, there, and they are very good and very awesome uh, law firm to actually work with here in, uh, in Michigan. And they even have offices outside of Michigan, too, as well. But I would definitely like to, uh, again, thank David for joining us this morning. And, again, obviously, if you guys have any other questions, um, feel free to shoot them over to us, even after the broadcast here at support at everythinghrfs.net. And, as well, if you have any HR needs, obviously feel free to reach out to us regarding those where we are able to assist your existing HR department or become your HR department. If you're looking at establishing a franchise, we're here to support you on that talent development or even talent you know, portion of it for your staff or becoming your HR department for you because that is a huge part of the puzzle uh, when you are franchising. Again, thank you guys so very much for joining us. We will see you again back here on next Wednesday from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. You can also take a look at the rebroadcast of this particular podcast. will be up on our site as soon as the show ends. And so thank you again, and have a great, great day. <laughs>